Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. I'm here today with Dave Todaro, the CEO, founder, and really the, I don't know, the, the chief pilot in a sense there for a company called Ascendal, the software development and really resides at the intersection of talent and software, project management, things that make the world go round. Dave, thanks so much for joining us here on Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. Absolutely, John. Thank you. I got a little a little shot in there about being, you know, the chief pilot as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that. But I'd love if we could get started by kind of going through where you started. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be super detailed, but kind of take us on the journey. And I'm especially interested, you know, because when you look at Ascendal on LinkedIn, on the company page, the thing that jumped out to me is in the about section, basically, is that if we don't deliver value, our work is free. And look, I've been around a lot of service companies over the years. That's a strong statement. That takes a lot of confidence. So, so tell us how you got there. I was always interested in technology. I was fortunate enough to have a grade school teacher that had a computer in the classroom. And that was a long time ago. So that was not <laughs> quite as popular as it was. Was it an Apple IIe? <laughs> it was actually a, a TRS-80 Model 3. Oh, yeah, with the so, tapes. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. If that's uh, if that's dating dating myself, this was a highly advanced version. It had a five, you know, five and a quarter inch floppy drive. <laughs> so I got exposed to that and dove right in and started programming, and fell in love right away. So that really started a lifetime of love of coding, and it also tied into a little bit later on delivering value because my father was a camp director. He was the okay. director of an overnight camp for boys and for families. And I would watch him sitting at the dining room table with the typewriter, typing the, the three-part carbon copy registration forms yeah. <laughs> for the entire summer. Yeah. So we, but was it white, him, uh, pink or white, and green and, and goldenrod or whatever the colors were? Oh, yeah, man, exactly. That so that's yeah. exactly right. Yep. I looked at that and I thought, well, there must be a better way to do this. And so I... Got out my trusty, then it was a Commodore 64. Okay, and progressive. figured out how to, uh, yes, you're going very advanced now from the TRS-80 to the, the Commodore 64. And just wrote a little database program where we could put all that registration information in and got my mm -hmm. trusty dot matrix printer, sat it next to the typewriter on the dining room table and showed him how he could put the stuff in and press one button and it would zip out that three-part form. Yeah. And saved him a ton of time. So that was sort of the first inkling at age 13 of tying this technology love mm -hmm. to actually solving people's problems. And I think at the end of the day, every programmer certainly loves solving problems, but they love delivering something that users find exciting, valuable, entertaining if you're in games. Right. But that to me uh, kind of set me down the path of tying technology to delivering value. I've got a 13 year old, I got a 12 and a 13 year old and they'll try. Well, I don't try to write a, write a book of jokes. They weren't that funny, but we laughed, you know, in the moment, you don't want to discourage him or anything, but there you go. A, a for effort. 
A for effort, baby. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, if a kid shows a spark like you did there, you, you gotta do something to encourage it, right? Because that's not, that may be a little bit out of the norm. Most kids are like, well, you know, give me a football or give me a, you know, a, a pad and let me draw and be artistic and while away the time or now it's like, give me an Xbox or whatever it might be. And yeah, here you were exactly. sitting going, hey man, how do I help him out? It sounds like too, of course, when you look on your, your company website, it's carried through to your values at Ascendal. So I'm, I'm, you know, the being on time, you know, discipline, hard work, delivery value. Tell us a little bit about Ascendal because I mean, that's been your baby now for, for quite a while. Yes, it has. So just fast forwarding, I ended up writing a few different camper registration systems for the Boston YMCA in high school, mm -hmm. went to school for engineering, but really kind of had that software bug. And so got out of college, continued with some consulting work, and then met a gentleman who had started a company, and I ended up being his technical co-founder and built that company over the course of 18 years. So wow. we built software for the construction industry. Mm -hmm. A bunch of different products, a bunch of different teams, and lots of, lots of trials and tribulations as we grew <laughs> that company. This was pre-Agile, mm -hmm. so we were trying to figure out how to manage this process. Then I discovered Agile about 15 or 16 years ago. And then I exited that company, sold to my partner and started Ascendal now almost 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the charter for Ascendal was to be helpful, specifically be helpful to these same software folks that are having their own struggles with getting their arms around. How do we work this intersection, like you said, of technology and people? Mm -hmm. How do we orchestrate people to understand what it is that our customers want? and then get our daily work aligning with that and building high quality software. So I started Ascendal with that charter in mind. Early on, it was just sort of straight consulting, helping companies figure out how to build development teams, figure out how to hire folks, participating in the hiring process. Inevitably, they would run into challenges and frustration. And finally, they said, Dave, can you just do this? Can you just <laughs> put a team in place? and make this happen. And that started us down the path of building teams. So today mm -hmm. we do that combination of doing strategic consulting with software companies, helping them figure out, all right, how do we chase down these three elusive goals that seem to be coming up over and over again? How do I get my teams to build the product that our customers actually want and are going to drive our business forward? Right. How do I get our teams to do that as quickly and predictably as possible? And finally, mm -hmm. most and very important is how do we do that at a high level of quality? So mm -hmm. we both work with companies to help them figure out how to do that. And then a lot of times our companies have more work than their teams can handle. So we also still put development teams in place to help them out. Wow. But it is all at the end of the day about delivering business value. Liking or disliking, you know, Bill Gates is credited with saying that all companies are tech companies now. Being able to successfully live at that intersection, I think, is only going to become more critical. It's already critical. I think it's only become more critical as we go forward. I was listening to someone the other day who's been, I would say, he's in the HR tech space. I'd say he's probably been on the front edge of machine learning and Gen AI applications than this ATS universe he lives in. I remember him talking about, well, what a lot of these other people are talking about in the market isn't real AI. And they haven't really applied AI to a, a process. You know, he seemed very, very defensive 
around AI. Now, you and I know AI has been around, the theory of AI has been around a long time since way before us, way before the Commodore mm-hmm. 64, for sure, you know, back right. in the 50s. Absolutely. Yes, since the, since the 50s, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, machine learning is AI, but I consider it, you know, you probably resonates with you. It's, it's, a, it's a static thing. It's not dynamic and producing output like generative AI is, mm. which is the new kid on the block. We're right. still a long way from theory of the mind uh, or, or artificial general intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, that is hopefully post my demise. I don't know if I want to deal with all of that. Uh, that goes with it. But but where we stand today, you know, you seem very defensive. Hey, this takes a lot of time and LLMs take forever to develop and this and this and that. And I look around the market, I'm thinking, man, some of these things are, they're popping out just constantly. There's something new. There's another wrinkle. There's another fold. There's another corner to go around. I've maintained for a while that with AI and the, the applications of AI are more of a frontier today than developing it, if that makes sense, you know, versus there, there are plenty of LLMs to build on and there'll be more popping up all the time. There's just that, that, that trend, that impetus is in motion, you know, and you know how it is. Objects and motions tend to stay in motion. I think so the application <laughs> exactly. is so, is so critical. I think right now there are probably more executives, more mom and pops, more executives at the bigger companies who are really digging into the idea that, you know what, a part of our core business function operations can revolve around how do we apply AI to operations, to sales, to HR, to marketing, so on and so forth. And do we buy our bill? I think the need for understanding how to develop quality software what good looks like. I think it's only going to increase. It's one of the reasons I was excited to talk with you because how do you handle that? You you know, because you're going to have people come to you and say, hey, yeah, we've never developed Zippity-Doo-Dah, but we recognize that if we don't, we're at risk of being a buyer to someone else's innovation or we're at risk of being left behind by the market. Mm -hmm. Around AI and particularly generative AI, this sort of new generation that was kicked off by ChatGPT just over a year ago, it seems... Hard to believe it's only been feels like a it's been a decade. Year, so. <laughs> yeah, hasn't it? And we usually get two questions. One is, how do I get some of that stuff in my product? <laughs> and the second question is, can I get rid of some developers and just have this AI, you know, write the code? Usually, that's not, you know, necessarily the technical leaders. That's more of the business leaders, and their intentions are pure. Their, their intentions are good, but can I mean, you that, tell us really what our, stuff is? <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. What, what is this stuff of which you speak? And I think that comes full circle back to the idea of value. Well, what value are we going to deliver? Right. And of course, in, in the case of having a, a chat interface to your product, chat UX and the like, if all of your competition starts implementing that and you don't have it now, that is going to be a problem. I think we also need to look at, well, what is the real value that we can deliver to our customers? And there are lots of use cases that we can look at with generative AI that does deliver a lot of value. I think what we need to be careful about is just to do a little bit of pressure testing around that and just think through, well, is this in fact going to deliver value to my customer? Mm -hmm. Because although there are already a, a ton of tools, Microsoft has very aggressively rolled out a bunch of tooling within its Azure cloud that leverages OpenAI's technology. Microsoft is a big investor in OpenAI, very right. forward-looking. 
on Bill Gates and the team's part. How do we actually apply this? Because it's not free. It's not, I can't snap my fingers and tomorrow we have a, a generative chat interface into our software. We still need to think through how exactly are we going to integrate that? And it still requires coding and building. So there's so many ideas that are floating around. We need to still, I like to say, ruthlessly prioritize because we don't have unlimited funding, but mm-hmm. there are lots of opportunities and looking at how we can build some capabilities that give our customers and our users a deeper experience with our product. The way that I think about generative AI today is it's like having a really fast research assistant. As you integrate that capability in your product, it could be, well, I have a really fast assistant that knows how to use this software that Mm -hmm. I've bought from our clients. So I think we look at it like that. If we always keep the end user in mind, then we're going to be thinking about how to drive value to them right. and ride that that difference between something shiny and neat, neat to me is a four-letter word, versus something that's delivering true value to our customers. Neat is a four-letter word. The shi- shiny is not a four-letter word, but a lot of people have shiny, shiny objects. Shiny not syndrome. a four-letter word. Uh, there's an E in there, right? Yes. Okay, yes, this is cool. Okay. Look, we right. can spell it however we want to. Uh, you know, that's why we, that's why the American revolution was fought. So we could do what we wanted to with the English language. You know, I mean, look what we do. There I'm in go. Texas exactly. and we, we make contractions out of everything and just create words out of whole cloth. You know, it's just, it's part of the landscape here, but uh, you know, this idea of delivering value to the end user, you know, I, I grew up in an environment where it was drilled into me that you always begin with the end in mind. And if you want to get someplace, you need to define what that end looks like. What, and in this case, what the product would look like, for example, and then figure out, okay, nowadays it's, well, that's future state. Here's current state. What's it going to take to get there? A lot of companies, I think, haven't really identified a core set of problems that they could potentially address with an AI application, a tool, or maybe just calls, you know, it calls for ML versus a gen AI application of some type. So. I think one of the the big challenges is if you're a business leader is understanding the problem you're trying to address. And in my opinion, I'm just a guy sitting here. I think a problem well-defined is a problem that's a whole lot easier to solve than one that's got some ambiguity to it, that doesn't address a known issue. And so I wonder, you know, if you're a business leader, how do you go about determining which problems should be solved with it versus ones that ought to be maybe either left alone or solved with something else. I mean, there's a potentially oversimplified answer to that, and that's talk to your customers because you may be spending two hours a day with your leadership team talking about what to do with this AI thing. Mm -hmm. While in the meantime, your customers are thinking your product's too slow. It doesn't do what I want. It's too buggy. Your customers may have a completely different perspective. Even to the point of you talking about, well, we're going to embark on this new AI initiative. Your customers may be looking around thinking, why the heck are they talking about AI when they can't even get the basics working? (laughs) So I think that all of us in business, we can fall into the trap of forgetting who's paying the bills. And especially in today's virtual climate, understanding truly what your customers want. So I would say if... 
if I was a business leader that owned a software company or you know a SaaS company, mm-hmm. I think as I'm having these conversations around AI, I would first think, when's the last time I hopped on a plane and I went and I saw our top 10 customers and just spent a couple of hours watching their people use my software, mm-hmm. taking them out to dinner and really listening to them, asking them, well, why, why do you use our software? What do you get out of it? What problems are you solving? And what can I do better? And see what they say. They may be saying, well, geez, if you could put that, you know, generative AI thing in there, that would be amazing. It's but tough. my guess it's not is a there's a 90% chance. It's a 90% chance they're going to be asking about a few other things. Now, yeah. as you're looking ahead, and especially, you know, there's always a competitive landscape. AI is not something that you're necessarily going to just ignore and put on the back burner. Right. You but can. I think it's easy to get really fired up about the new shiny object at the expense of your customers. Guess what you're not going to have if you ignore your customers? You're not going to have a company anymore. So you need to strike that balance between making sure you understand what are my real problems as perceived by my customers. And there may be none. They may say, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this product is amazing. You guys have spent the last 20 years listening to us and putting absolutely everything in there that we need. It's fast. It's rock solid. Yes, AI would be awesome. But for all too many of our clients, that's not what they would hear as they talk to their customers. They would, here's my laundry list of stuff that I've been collecting for the past Mm -hmm. five years that I feel like you guys haven't been listening and you guys are not responsive. And so maybe fix the stuff that I've been asking about for five years before this new stuff. And again, you're going to have to strike a balance, but don't dive into the new shiny AI things at the expense of your customers. No, that's 100% fantastic advice. And I don't think, I know you started it off with a caveat, well, maybe this is a little oversimplifying it, but it's not. I mean, the basics are still the basics. The fundamentals are still the fundamentals. When it comes to business, when it comes to sales and, uh, and all this other fun stuff, they, when you look around the market, I mean, if there was a one or two key skills that you would recommend for people, say over the next three to five years, to upskill or reskill, or even if they're saying college or they're, they're going through some sort of training program, what would be ideal to help them adapt to this technology? And, and, and I put it that way to this technology, not to AI per se, because AI has been lurking in the shadows and on our shoulders for quite a while, just in the ML form. But sure. But I'm thinking yep. in terms of, you know, I've been reading a lot about there's a lot of, let's just call it blue collar work that's not going to be impacted much at all by AI. You're not going to replace your HVAC repair person or your plumber yet. I mean, robots aren't that far along, but, uh, and there are a lot of other places out there where you can't replace a set of human hands doing a job. And, but on the white collar side, mm-hmm. there are a lot of areas, I think maybe six months ago, people were going, ah, oh, yeah, AI is not going to replace this. And now that as it keeps kind of advancing by these leaps, I think some people are sitting back going, wait a second, I might need a CFO or a CPA to sign off on financials, another set of human eyes, but I might not need AP clerks. I might not need staff accountants. I might not need an FP&A function popular with humans. I might not need a paralegal. I might not need, I mean, you'll write down the list where, where this is going because so much mm. knowledge is there, but you and I know one of the key gaps in AI is it doesn't create anything novel. It synthesizes. As long as you're synthesizing and not right. relying on intuition and years of judgment, you know, you can get away with that. 
But if you were in that environment, looking at it from an employment perspective, and you're in one of these areas that, man, they could replace or displace me, what are a couple of things you would recommend that would be helpful for people to learn in terms of skills? And my answer will be biased towards software since that's my world. Totally okay. What I would do. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm sitting here and, and actually my, my college junior was asking me very similar question in terms of what I would lean into. Mm-hmm. What I would do if, if it was me would be, I would focus on three things. I would learn more about generative AI, mm-hmm. keep up with what open AI is doing, sign up for a newsletter. This technology is changing on a weekly basis. So if I can keep up with what's going on and understand it and use it and learn about it and think about what implication it has, then I think I'm going to be better equipped for this world. Generative AI is not going to be going away. And more and more people are going to be trying to figure out, well, how do I actually use this? So you've probably heard the term prompt engineering. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very specialized piece, but I think just in general, just be aware of what's going on in the world of generative AI. That's the first recommendation I would have. The second recommendation I would have on the technical side of things is spend some time with Microsoft, Azure, and AWS. Just look at their marketing materials. Just read through every single service that those cloud infrastructures provide and understand the why behind doing this. So funny story, when I was a little kid, I used to love looking at mail order catalogs back in the day when they had the, huh. you know, everybody did back then. We still got a few of them in the mail, right? But think about what a print catalog gave you. It gave you a picture, it gave you a description, mm-hmm. it gave you the name, it explained what the benefit was, and you understood how much it cost. So you could learn a lot about a subject just by reading a mail order catalog around that subject. That's the way right. that I view going into Azure and AWS. Read the mail order catalog equivalent, which is what is this service? What is it called? What does it do? How much does it cost? If you had a basic understanding of every single service that Azure and AWS offer as a technologist, you're going to be miles ahead of someone who doesn't. And the reason for that is that contemporary software development, the number one thing that we do with our clients is we listen to their problems and we go to Microsoft Azure or AWS and we figure out what have those companies spent billions of dollars building for us already that Mm -hmm. we don't have to build. We just have to leverage. So today's software engineering is not writing everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. It's stitching together a bunch of pre-built components that are going to deliver a result. So that's the second Hmm. thing I would do. The third thing I would do is I would learn about working with people because Hmm. there is one constant that is never going to go away, which is you need to be able to work with other people. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to coordinate and you need to be able to understand what are the frameworks that help people with that task, whether it's scrum on the technical side of things or some other framework. That's the third thing that I would do is just understand that. And yeah, it took me a long time to learn this. I wrote a 500 page book on scrum and all the things that you need in addition to the, the 17 page scrum guide to actually make all the pieces work. But just understanding the fundamentals of that, I would go read the scrum guide if you haven't. And I would go read the Agile Manifesto and the 12 principles that support the Agile Manifesto, because those are 
they were created for software. Those principles can be applied to any group of individuals that have the need to prioritize a to-do list and deliver a specific result, which talks to many, many people, well, regardless I mean, of industry, regardless of technology. It's problem solving, right? I mean, with a group. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing, and correct me if I heard this wrong, but this is just to kind of summarize. Yeah, AI is here. Gen AI is here to stay. It's going to impact everything, everybody, one way or the other, to one extent or the other. But the fundamentals are still the same. Be aware of technology, understand it, know how to work with other people and, and do it well, and really understand with clarity what, what problems are out there and how to approach them. That Because that approach doesn't change. Solving a problem is still solving a problem. Mm -hmm. As I heard my dad used to put it growing up, he said, math is still, well, dad, what is math and why, why do I have to take so much of it? And he'd tell me, because it's a language and it's not even your second language, son. It's really bad. You need to improve on that. And we did over time. It was not unpainful. It was not painless, I should say. But tell me a little bit about, and we're kind of approaching this talent thing, you know, because we talk a lot about the intersection of tech and talent. And talent in sure. your career path or your company and all this, because that's, you know, driving the tech talent pool. Tell me a little bit about what you do for talent and how you help people along in their careers from the Ascendal perspective. Because because what you do is in assembling these project teams and putting stuff together, you're you're doing a lot of knowledge transfer. And sometimes you end up transferring sure. people, I'm sure, you know, to help embed the historicity uh, with a client. But mm -hmm. just going back and being able to reinvent that knowledge mass and enough people on your side of the equation to effectively help and deliver value on the client side. I find that very intriguing. I find that very impressive uh, because a lot of companies, especially smaller companies, Dave, they don't, they don't put enough into their people in terms of development. And, mm. and some of that's because they haven't taken the time to understand what that should look like and how it should go, and what the pace sure. ought to be. And there's some companies have a fear of, well, this person's going to leave in two years anyway, so why should I invest more in them? But I, I got a hunch yeah. you probably don't have as much of that fear residing in, in how you do things. I think it comes down to the, the, the classic three of people, process, and tools. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of overemphasizing one or maybe two and then sort of de-emphasize the others. So for example, well, we're just going to put a bunch of tools in place and we don't need to worry about having you know good people we don't need to worry about developing them we don't need to worry about having a solid process or we're going to have a process and you know we're just going to figure out how to work that process or we're just going to hire the best possible people in the world and then they're just going to magically know how to produce a result and then so there's there's problems with all three of those that last one i actually did at my former company. We hired amazing people. Mm -hmm. We had a very heavy reliance on what was in everyone's head. And then if someone moved on to a different opportunity or back then moved locations because we didn't have the virtual world that we have today, kind of and now all that knowledge would sort of evaporate with them. I think what's important is to make sure that we balance all three of those things. So for us, we hire really solid people. We focus on developing our people. We focus on training upskilling, mentoring, you know, apprenticing with other teams that are doing more advanced things or other people that are doing more advanced things. We have a very disciplined process. We use everything that's in my book all day, every day. Plus we have another 
huge confluence space that has documentation around everything. Mm-hmm. And we're still working it. We're still saying, you know what, we can do that a little bit better, or we don't have a process yet to make this repeatable. And then finally, we use the best tools that we can find, whether it's you know the, the project management tools such as Jira and Confluence, or other tools that help us with our people or our time tracking or our project planning or just managing the organization. And, and we're certainly not perfect at it, but we do focus on all three of those pillars, people, process, and tools, mm-hmm. and try to keep them all, all balanced and even. And it is a continuous process. It's a continuous process of developing our folks. For us, learning in the context of the daily challenges that come from our clients is always immensely valuable. And we get together. I just got off a call. I have office hours two days a week where it's not just me uh, giving advice, but it's our team members coming together and talking about challenges. Hey, you know, have we ever run into this at a client? Well, no, that's a new one. What have you guys done so far to address that challenge? Well, you know, we tried this, we tried this. Okay. Well, what about this other idea? And we come together and we collaborate around those Mm -hmm. ideas. So we're always continually inventing. And that's the other thing is that People are so important because we can't write a process for every possible thing that's going to happen. We, right. we could write 100,000 pages and there still, still will be, be something enough. that comes up. It's just still not going to be enough. So having our folks really be consultants as opposed to just kind of blindly operating a process is super critical. And that's that's a continuous journey. It's a combination of us helping them, us exposing them to our clients and the challenges that we solve for our clients and continually finding ways to elevate them within the organization. We are a professional services firm. So at the end of the day, you know, we don't have a 16 level hierarchy that you can (laughs) elevate through. And, you know, we have a very, very streamlined and lightweight management team. And of course, just about everyone in the company is still working on client projects in some form or fashion, instead of the, you know, sort of vertical mobility that you'd have in a sort of a, a big corporate environment. We look to help upskill our team members with more and more uh, competencies where they can tackle more and more things at different clients. And right. then they can also elevate into leadership roles where they help coordinate the work with our clients. So I made a comment to someone the other day, we we're talking about a talent acquisition. How do, how do you attract talent? And I stopped them and I said, well, really quality, high quality talent acquisition for an existing organization starts with high quality talent management and talent retention. It starts with making what your value prop is more attractive. And what do you know? It positively impacts talent attraction of the right people at the right time, doing the right stuff for you. And it sounds like you're you're in that cycle. That it's kind of a flywheel wheel, you know, each depends on the other, which depends on the other. And mm-hmm. takes a lot of energy and focus and discipline. There's no doubt. All right. I have to ask, and I don't know if we're going to end up with a pilot thing again or somewhere else, but the passion project, you know, Dave, what, what besides work, or it could be in work, but, but what really gets you fired up and where do you like to put your, your extra time and energy into? I mean, the number one thing for me is the reason I started this company, which I mentioned earlier, which is to be helpful. That mm-hmm. really is our core mission is how can we be helpful? And we have our core values. You mentioned a few of those, such as you know, deliver business value and exhibit, embody extreme ownership and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think those are all contributors toward this idea of how do we be helpful? And that is really the mission that we start with. It's not 
how do we make as much money as possible? How do we conquer mm-hmm. the world? How do we do this? How do we do that? It's how do we actually help people by and large what they're they're fr- frustrated with day in and day out, which is what we see is the business leaders and stakeholders are frustrated because they can't quite feel like they get out of their development team what they want. The development team is frustrated because they're working their butts off and they're feeling underappreciated mm-hmm. because they're working so hard, but they somehow can't do anything right. This happens more often than not in many software development organizations or software product organizations. And so our goal, and you know, I, I say somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, but with a degree of seriousness, that our product is happiness. Okay. Happiness for those stakeholders that are frustrated mm-hmm. about getting what they need out of the development teams. Happiness for the development teams that feel like they just, no matter how, how hard they work, they can't do anything right in many cases. So happiness is, in fact, our product. And because we're being helpful, we can generate happiness and have people excited to come to work every day and have those three key things addressed all the time. My team's building what our customers want. It's on a, they're going fast and it's predictable and mm-hmm. the quality is just awesome. You do those three things and your customers are going to love you and you're going to have a successful software company. But that's really what, what's get me, what gets me fired up is figuring out how do we be helpful to as many software companies as we can? How do we find more software companies that we can help? Mm-hmm. How do we tune our services in a way and our company structure in a way that we can deliver those services at as competitive a, a value proposition as we possibly can. So they're spending the lowest possible dollar amount to get the highest value and we can still right. run a company and continue to grow. That's what gets me fired up and out of bed every day. And of course, there's also the fun things. I do enjoy getting out on the golf course and I am a private pilot and, and fly my own plane. It was just up in Toronto, visiting a client, spending a day with them, mm-hmm. figuring out how it can be helpful to them. And was able to hop in the airplane and fly about an hour back and be back in time for another meeting in the afternoon. There's nothing wrong with that, Dave. That's for sure. And I like, I like this concept. You know, how, how can we be helpful? You know, one of the things I got into asking, and it, and it took a, a hot minute to kind of make it a habit. You know, always ask, hey, how how can I help? Somebody presents a problem, and instead of offering a solution, and it could be a personal problem, a business problem, whatever. How can I help? You know, what, what do you how can I address this need that you have, be it for increased value, an answer to a homework problem, personal issue, whatever it might be, finding ways to be helpful and give people something, the help they need so they can they can get to happy. I kind of equate happy, and when I think happy, I think contentment. I think, all right, I can breathe. You know, there's a burden lifted. That's a heck of a message. That's a great message. Dave, I really appreciate you joining us today sharing that with us. I got a hunch that anybody listening to this is going to have some really, really key takeaways because you've been in the trenches for a long time and you've got lessons learned. I think there's some some great takeaways from this. So thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles. Stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more 
at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.